Hey, it's Brandon here and I have some big news. Seven Figure Millennials is now beyond curious. I am so excited for this new brand and I would highly encourage you to go check out episode number 140 for all of the juicy details. But as a teaser for episode 140, the central question for Seven Figure Millennials, the original show from the beginning was, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? I spent over 1,000 hours researching this question and published 139 episodes. And after all of that, I have an answer. And I put together that answer in a legit masterclass that weaves together clips from previous guests all to answer that question. So if you wanna hear my answer, the why behind Beyond Curious and the vision moving forward, go check out episode number 140. But you are here listening to this episode, which I know is amazing, but I would just highly recommend you also check out episode number 140 for the full explanation behind the rebrand. All right, here's your episode. Well, hello there, my friend, and welcome to today's episode of Seven Figure Millennials, where together you and I are choosing to do things differently. You and I are choosing, committing to prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships while building a business that creates a meaningful impact in the lives of the people that we love and generating the wealth for us to design a beautiful life on our terms. And if you are listening to my voice right now for the very first time, I just want to say welcome. Super excited to have you here. And if you're returning every single week, you know how much it means to me that you are showing up for yourself today to learn and expand and grow. Every single week, I'm interviewing amazing humans making a beautiful impact in the world so that I can pull out their best insights to empower you to go out and create the impact that you want to create. And I'm super excited to introduce you to today's legendary leader of impact, Jem Fuller. And I'm going to read his bio in just a bit. But before I get to that, I want to tell you about three things that you can expect to learn in today's episode. Number one, you're going to learn all about the CIA. And no, not the Central Intelligence Agency. This CIA will help you to spend less time worrying about what you can't control. Number two, what it means to get the green light and how that can transform the way you communicate with people for the rest of your life. And number three, look out for Jem's hilarious travel story at the end. I don't want to give it away, but it has to do with a goat in India. <laughs> so at this point, you're probably wondering who is this incredible human? Well, to say that Jem Fuller has lived a colorful global life is the understatement of the century. This is me adding some color to his bio because he's been a barefoot backpacker, corporate leader, fire dancer, traditional tattooist, kindergarten teacher, motorcycle courier, masseuse and reflexology person to laborer and travel consultant. So yes, he's done the full gambit of everything. <laughs> and now his time is as a leadership coach and international retreat leader, dedicated partner and father. He is also the author of the award-winning book, The Art of Conscious Communication for Thoughtful Men, and can be seen delivering his TEDx talk on YouTube. One other thing I want to add is I want to give a shout out to our mutual friend, Jonna Lee, for making this introduction. And Jonna is going to be coming on the show very shortly, but I appreciate you, Jonna. And man, this was a great conversation. So I'm super grateful for the introduction because you can just tell Jem is one of those people who practices what he preaches. He is ridiculously present and he's also incredibly passionate about communication. I say this in the episode, but I truly believe that communication is one of the 
first principle skill sets. It is a domino where if you learn how to communicate more effectively with yourself and the people in your life, it just has a positive ripple of impact on almost everything else that you're doing. And so we go deep today into so many different ways that you can communicate more effectively. And I'm so excited for you to listen in. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with my new friend, Jem Fuller. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Figure Millennials Podcast. Jem, my favorite Aussie, and I say that because, you know, I love you so much, but I don't know that many Aussies, but I'm super, super excited to have you here, my friend. This is going to be an absolute, absolute blast. (laughs) Yeah, Brandon, thank you so much for having me on your show, dude. When we met not that long ago... I was like, oh, wow, wow. Can I be on your show, please? <laughs> <laughs> sparks flew and our friends get to hang out with us and kind of witness why the sparks flew. I think you and I immediately connected on the topic of storytelling and communication. And so we'll we'll go through all that stuff. But I thought a really fun place to start would be from one of your crazy cool travel stories. And you've had your full gambit of emotions and traveling from the fun, I'm sure fearing for your life as I've seen, and also some uh, really, really transformative experiences as well. So I would love to dive into one of the more transformative experiences that really struck me when I was reading your book. And it has to do with uh, you were in South India on a train and you hop on a train and you end up sitting next to a mother and three little ones. And you ended up just kind of having this really beautiful experience. So I would love for you to tell that story and maybe share some context too as to what was going on in your life then. Yeah, sure. Um, I was in quite a remarkable year of my life, actually, which started out as um, a bit of an identity crisis. I'd come out of all of the things that we tend to identify with our vehicles. And by that, I mean that we identify with our relationships. So we might say I'm so-and-so's partner, or we identify with our career and we might say I am a painter or, or whatever it is. And all of the things that I'd identified with weren't there anymore at the start of this year. So I really didn't know who I was. I was a bit lost, to be honest. And so I decided to run an experiment in this year in India. And I also didn't know what I wanted to, quote, unquote, do. You know, people go, what do you do? (laughs) And I was like, I don't know what I do. I don't even know what I want to do, you know. So I ran an experiment and I thought I'm not going to have any design on the future whatsoever. I'm just going to wake up each morning. I was traveling with a backpack and traveling quite simply as well. Um, I didn't have many belongings, but I would wake up each morning and just see where the wind would take me kind of thing. And um, so this morning, um, well, it started off in the evening, I got on this train. And another thing that I was really wanting to do was to see if I could disappear into the fabric of India. I didn't want to stand out as a tourist. I was really curious to see if I could immerse myself into their culture and fit somewhere in there. So I traveled very, very simply, quite often barefoot and, you know, just with a simple lungi, which is a piece of material they wrap around themselves, the men, and a t-shirt and uh, and a small bag. And so, and I would also travel um, on the cattle class, you call it, you know, like the, the, the cheapest, cheapest possible way to travel which on this evening was sitting on the floor outside the toilets on the train with the untouchable cast 
So these people are the the, the lowest of the low. Um, and I, yeah, I, I wanted to, like I said, I wanted to disappear into the fabric of the culture and I didn't want them to think that I was wealthy. I didn't want people begging off me. I didn't want people trying to rip me off. I just wanted to kind of disappear a little bit. So I was sitting on the floor right next to the the open door of the train. So these trains, you know, don't have doors on them and sitting there and the breeze from the, from the night was blowing through the open door enough to kind of disguise the smell from the toilets, which was right next to us. Um, pretty disgusting, actually, to be honest, a pretty, pretty rough way to travel. And we were, I was squished in with all of the untouchable cast just sitting on the floor and I was squished up next to this woman and her three little children and they were ra- they were kind of ranging from breastfeeding age through to young toddler, you know, three or four years old. And she didn't speak a word of English and I didn't speak a word of her language. I spoke some Hindi, but that was useless because she didn't speak any Hindi. So we were communicating with each other with eye contact, with nods and, and head wobbles and 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 energy to be honest you know us humans are very very sensitive to to energy as well and just very very subtle cues you know skin color tone change and eye eye movements and 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 body language and we pick up on all of these really subtle cues and cross culturally as well which i find fascinating anyway so we sat next to each other and her kids were crawling all over the top of me and um she was sharing her food with me which was you know, they they roll up newspaper into a cone shape and fill it with mixed assorted nuts and spices. And she was sharing her food with me. And we were next to each other for, I don't know, five or six hours through the night. One of her kids even was comfortable enough to crawl onto me and fall asleep on my chest. And she was looking at me like, is this okay? And I was looking back. Um, yeah, it's completely fine. It's all good. And so we sat there like this. And then in the just, you know, just pre-dawn, so the light is just starting to change color, but the sun hasn't come up yet. Um, and we were clickety-clacking through rural South India. And we pulled up to a station, but didn't quite stop. I don't know if you've been on the, the trains in India or seen them in movies and stuff, but at some of the stations, they don't actually come to a stop. They just come down to about walking pace, which is what this train did. And then this woman, um, it was her stop and she she scooped up all of her kids and her belongings and she was climbing over me to get out the door <clears throat> and she reached her hand out and I was a bit half asleep and didn't really know what she was doing. And um, I reached my hand out. I thought she was shaking my hand or something. And she pushed a 10 rupee note into my hand. She gave me money, you know, and she was poor, as poor as you can get. And she the, she gave me the equivalent of 10 cents or something. And as soon and I realized that she'd given me money and I was like, Diddy, nay, nay, sister, no. And she'd already jumped off the train and disappeared. And um, yeah, it was, it was many things for me. Immediately I felt guilty because I was um pretending to be poor. I had money in the bank. Um, and then very quickly as she jumped off, you know, I jumped off the train, the train picked up speed again and you know, went off into the dawn. I I then moved to a feeling of gratitude, moved to a feeling of feeling completely accepted. She had actually um, accepted me as pigeonholed me as sadhu, which is over there. Traditionally, a sadhu is a man who's been through some kind of life crisis. Maybe they've lost their, their family or something, and they decide to get rid of all of their material possessions and and walk the earth searching for spiritual enlightenment, essentially. Um, and in some funny kind of hippie Western way, that's what I was doing <laughs> Um, 
and so yeah as 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 the train rattled off i sat there in in that moment and um and felt completely accepted and completely grateful for the immersion and um the the open arms into another culture it was pretty special such a beautiful story and thank you for sharing with such detail i can just totally picture that stinky toilet and the breeze of the the car and the the sunset and that setting of being having kids crawling all over you and it's just a, such a beautiful story because i think it just shows human connection at the deepest level that we can have so many different contexts we can have different languages but there are these really beautiful unique human experiences that tie us all together and mm. uh learning how to be present and conscious in those moments but then also taking the lessons away from them that you clearly have in your work in communication and translating that into your uh work with leaders and the people that you share your communication methods with is just so cool. So I think this is just like a perfect transition to kind of just keep going and talking a little bit more about why conscious communication. So uh, I just read the book, which I would encourage anybody to go check out the art of conscious communication for thoughtful men, a way to fulfilling your potential. Uh, and obviously for the our, our, our women that are listening, super, super powerful uh, communication strategies regardless, but um, we'll obviously dive more into your adventures and some of the really cool stuff. But yeah, I would love to maybe just kind of expand on this a little bit more. You kind of painted this picture of a beautiful non-verbal communication situation, but communication is just at the core of so many of the things of our lives. And I, I love to look at things from the perspective of first principles, like what are the the dominoes that have a leading impact on almost everything else in our lives? And I, I, I would argue to say that communicating effectively is one of those things. So uh, we'd love for you to just expand on this a little bit more and share why conscious communication was so important to you. Oh man, I love that analogy of the dominoes and the first principles. I couldn't agree more. And and it's funny, even communication being a first principle, even to the point where we take it for granted and, and it's overlooked, you know, if our ability to survive evolutionarily, so for us to even get off the Savannah Plains and, and survive was was in our um, ability to develop societies, to, to work together in community. Um, we needed each other. You know, we, we couldn't survive as a soul and soul creature and to work in society, to work communally, you need communication. You've got to be able to communicate in some way. So it, it is a first principle of, of us as a species, you know? Um, and I think because it is so rudimentary to every aspect of our life, you know, whether it's connection or whether it's the manifest manifestation of an idea into reality, not possible without communication. Um, when it's the bridge over the divide of difference, which we need to help us harness the power of diversity and come up with truly global solutions to problems, you know, in any aspect of our lives, communication is necessary, even when you're sitting in solitude, you know, even when you're in communication with yourself, it's, it's still, it's still necessary for us to even communicate what we see around us. When we label a tree, it's a tree before we labeled it as a tree we anyway that's a whole other conversation so yeah I, I really agree communication is fundamental and i think so much so that we overlook it and don't pay it enough attention and i i think that um sadly our ability to communicate has um, deteriorated to a certain degree because it's been overtaken by this divisiveness and and whether it's politically pushed or whether it's naturally organically happening, but this left and right, this blue and red, this black and white, this pro-vax, anti-vax or pro-life choice, pick your topic, you know, to see 
the division that's happening at the moment to a lot of with a lot of people, not everyone, is really sad. And and the, the ability to communicate the difference of opinions has deteriorated to shouting at each other and cancelling each other on platforms like Twitter, which I think is just ridiculous. Um, you know, and so yeah, I'm I'm pretty passionate about us shifting our focus a little bit more to how can we engage in more conscious communication, hence the title of the book. And by that, I really just mean when the more conscious we are of something, the more aware of it we are. Yeah. You know? And so when we can be more aware in communication, then then we can communicate more effectively. I know that was one of the things that we immediately bonded over when we initially connected, as I told you that one of my core values is something that I call conscious storytelling, because I truly believe that the quality of our lives depends on the quality of our stories that we're telling internally and then also externally. So by upgrading the stories that you tell, because they're the medium of our reality, it just upgrades everything, right? So I just think that that's, it's so cool that you're empowering people. And I think you're right. You, you said something small in passing. It's like, we take it for granted. It's so small. It's like, it's like the fish swimming in water. You don't even realize that the fish doesn't realize that it's swimming in water, <laughs> but like yeah. we're using this language that's forming our perception of what's going on in the world. And the more intentional we can be on the internal and the external dialogue, it's, it's just transforms everything. So let's, let's keep building on this. There's, there's a subject that you talk about in your book that I think is a great uh, building block for communication. And that I think that in that black and white world that you just described of people fighting for this and fighting for that, um, you talk about functional versus dysfunctional communication. I think that there's a tendency for people to think there's a right way and a wrong way to do things, but you kind of explain mm -hmm. that there's, that's not necessarily the best classification or way of thinking about it. We'd love for you to expand on that. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that classification is helpful because all of a sudden it becomes judgmental and it starts to infer I'm better than you, you know, and that's just never going to work. I'm different from you, you know, and we're all, and there's lots of differences, which is beautiful and should be celebrated, but should not be. I don't think it's helpful to start to build a hierarchy of I'm better than you. And as soon as you start to label right or wrong, then there's a moral implication there. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I just think it's, it, and I'm not talking about whether it's, that maybe there is a moral um, landscape, as Sam Harris would say. Maybe there is a moral right and wrong that we can prove or not. And that that might be the case, but I don't find it helpful in this conversation to, to use that terminology. I think it's better to look at the scale of functionality, you know, and, and up, the, up the very functional end of this scale is when the communication works. So when I've expressed something to you and you've understood it and we're on the same page and we might not necessarily agree but we both understand you know, that's functional communication right or dysfunctional communication is when you were trying to express yourself or, or share some information or get a point across or have someone understand something and it didn't work <laughs> and you end up getting upset with each other and walking away still not understanding each other and perhaps even slightly more resentful than you were before that's dysfunctional communication there was a guest that I interviewed a long time ago. He was an early guest, Blair Dunkley, and I might may or may not be getting this right, but he he talks about mind models and one of his mind models without going into what that actually means is effective versus ineffective, where it, it is much better to think about things as like, am I communicating effectively or am I communicating ineffectively? And I think that just having that lens of like viewing a communication from that perspective of okay, how could I make this better instead of like you did that incorrectly or I did that incorrectly? Uh, it just expands so much worlds of possibility. So with, with that kind of understanding in mind, maybe we can talk about some ways that we can 
to have more effective communication. And and one of the things I I, I loved inside of the book is you, you you talk about kind of building on what I said before about the the first conversation that's the most important is one that you're having with yourself. And so you kind of talk about these consent these these rings of communication. I uh, would love for you to expand on that and what that means. Yeah, sure. It, it's interesting. I was thinking about this the other day. You know, I yes, I believe that the place to start is by upgrading the quality of the communication with yourself. And I've got reasons for that. It's interesting though, there's a lot of um a lot of anthropological discussions these days about um how narcissistic, generally speaking, as a as a species we've become, especially in the West. I was I read a stat the other day about something like 983 million selfies taken per year or something. Um and and you know we've got to we've got to love ourselves and it's all about our, our success. And and it comes from this um you know the dream, the American dream culture, which is you can go from rags to riches and you can do it all yourself and you've got to believe in yourself and you've got to, and you can, you can create what you want and this world of possibility. Um, but you've got to learn to love yourself and back yourself and, and do the work and yada, yada. And that's all true um, to a certain degree. But I mean, in that it's true that yes, we've become more self-focused than ever before in history before we weren't like this. And yes, we do take a lot of selfies and yes, all of that. However, I reckon that I still believe it's important to practice self-okayness, self-acceptance, and, and not because it's about just about me. It's the next step that comes after that. Because when you start to run the neurology, when you start to believe that you are exactly who you're supposed to be, that you shouldn't be more like him or her, that you shouldn't be this or that, that you are who you, you are who you are, and that's who you should be, apparently, because there you are. <laughs> um, and that you're improving as you improve, and that's fine. The more okay you get with yourself, the less it needs to be about you. Mm. Right? If I'm not okay with myself, if I'm still hung up on my past, and if I'm still in angst about this or that or the other, or I, you know, I'm, I'm if I'm still communicating with myself in a horrible way i.e. the internal dialogue is abusive, which quite often it is. If if you ever pay attention and you are reprimanding yourself when you've let yourself down or you've let someone down, the quality of the words that we use internally is horrible quite often. You know, it's abusive. So when that's not happening, when I'm practicing a meditation each day and, a, and, a, and as much as possible an awareness each day of I'm okay, it's not about me, then I can make it more about serving others. Then I can make it more about the hopefully the positive impact I'm having on life around me. So it's not about narcissism actually in the end. It's about being able to to give more. Anyway, that's a little bit of a tangent that I go on there. But yeah, look, I think the um the concentric circle model that I came up with in the book is that at the center of this concentric circle, right in the core of it is you and your relationship with yourself and the communication with yourself. And I argue that I think that's the place to start in terms of in becoming more conscious, more aware, and and more kind with the with the choice of words that you use because language is powerful, right? You know, I mean, you, you and I talked about this. the The actual words that we use are part of this relationship with with life um, on a very uh, metaphysical and physical level. You're physically vibrating this on your on your vocal cords, you know. Um, and also creating neural neural pathways that with repetition tend to wire together a little bit, so to speak. So the, the choice of words is important. 
And rather than getting out of the shower and looking at yourself naked in the mirror and saying, fuck, you're ugly or fuck, you're fat or geez, you look fucking, uh, right? Rather than that, choosing some kind of words, you know, or when you've, when you've aimed to do something and you haven't quite succeeded and you want to coach yourself to being better, self-improvement, that's great. I love that. Do it kindly, you know, look at yourself in the mirror and say, hey, come on, man, you got this. You can do better than that. I believe in you. You're a good person. Your intentions were good. You know, try a bit harder next time or whatever it is, right? So yes, we can hold ourselves accountable to some level of standard of the type of person that we hope to try and be when we go out into the world and interact with the world, but do it kindly, you know? And then, so the next concentric ring out from that are the people closest to us. Um, Initially, it's your parents and siblings. And then as we become adults and we choose a mate, generally speaking, it's our mate. And then if we have kids, it's the kids. This is that next ring out. And then the next ring out is perhaps extended family. And then the next ring out is closest friends. And then the next ring out might be people that we work with or people in a sporting club, you know. And then the next ring out is people that we see once in a while that we don't really know that well and so on right out to the most extended extended ring, which is people that you've never met and you'll never meet. Mm. And what I find interesting with these, these, these concentric circles of connection is that the closer someone is to you, the easier it is to be triggered mm-hmm. in communication, right? The easier it is for them to say something and you take it personally and get upset. And then, And then I thought more about this and I thought, well, that's interesting because there have been times in my life where I was sitting in a in a, a, a situation with people from a, a ring much further out, you know, colleagues. And I was in a situation where I had to communicate and I got all choked up and I had a bit of an anxiety attack and I couldn't speak. The same, and it was the 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 physiological uh, experience in that moment was very similar to when I was getting, when I would get upset in a conversation with my wife and my mind would race and my mouth would go dry and my heart rate would go up and I couldn't think clearly. I couldn't communicate. And it was similar to that. And I was going, okay, so why, why am I struggling in communication with people I don't really even know? And it's because the topic of conversation was right at the center of the concentric rings. It was about me. I'd been asked in that moment to tell my story of success you know, and this was back in a time when I didn't believe I deserved success. I didn't think I was good enough deep down. So when I was asked to communicate something that was deeply personal, I kind of um, got I got shot back into the center of the, these concentric rings, which was me talking about me. If they had have asked me to tell them how to tie a shoelace, I would have been fine, <laughs> you know. Um, so look, I think it's interesting. We, we're, we're very emotional creatures and obviously very psychologically governed. Um, by the thoughts that are going on and this looping between thought and emotion and we can come unstuck. And, and so, you know, if, if someone that I don't know comes up to me and, and, you know, says something to me that would be triggering normally, I can be like, whatever, I don't really mind what you think about me. But if my partner was to say the same thing, they'll probably get triggered, you know? Mm. Let's expand on this triggering topic because I think you and I would have an interesting discussion here. It's essentially like I view a trigger as an opportunity to get really curious. Um, and yeah. it took a while, it took a while for me to kind of like put that lens on, but it's like, 
you know, I think you see like road rage on the streets or whatever it may be. And yeah. like people immediately get pissed off. But if, if you leverage triggers effectively, it's bringing your awareness to something that that is an opportunity for growth. So I would love for you to share a little bit maybe on your thoughts on on how you've been able to, once you become conscious of like, oh, I'm being triggered right now. This is interesting. How do you then transform that into uh, something that you can learn more about yourself? Yeah, there's a beautiful process for exactly this moment uh, that Michael Singer wrote about in his book, The Untethered Soul. And he says, in that moment when, when you're triggered, first step is gratitude. Gratitude for being triggered for exactly the reason you just said, Brandon, because I'm grateful I've just been triggered now because prior to this moment, whatever it is, my attachment to whatever it is from the past that I've now been triggered about was in my subconscious. I wasn't aware of it. I was just cruising along nice and fine. And then this thing happened and now I'm triggered and feeling, right? So now it's, I'm consciously aware of it. So I'm grateful that I'm consciously aware of it because now that I'm aware of it, I can let it go again. And you can't let something go when you're not consciously aware of it. So it's this beautiful process of gratitude. And then I've modified the process myself because when I say to clients or, or anyone who's asking, they say, yeah, Jem, letting it go, that's fine. You always go on about let go. But how? How do you actually let go? And so I use language, breath, and physicalization. So I'll literally take a deep breath in, lift my shoulders up, and sigh out. And as I sigh out the breath, I drop my shoulders and say the words, I let this go. Mm. You know, so by physicalizing it and using the breath and using the, the language, it's just a, a process. Now, it, letting go of something once doesn't mean that you won't get triggered by it again. And I'm I'm just making this up, but I reckon the bigger the trauma, the more times you'll need to let it go to smooth out that crease, so to speak. Uh, but we, it's a practice. All of this stuff is like meditation. You don't get good at meditation and then stop. You don't get good at yoga and then stop. It's, it becomes a, a way of life. So you get triggered. Oh, so grateful I got triggered right now. Bit of curiosity and letting it go, you know. And if you feel to be introspective about that trigger and to do some kind of rational smoothing out of the crease, you know, then then go ahead and do that too. But it doesn't need to be that. It can just be a, a letting go, you know. These kind of frameworks or approaches to responding to a particular situation, I think are just so valuable. And I've come across a few of these in the interviews that I've done on the show. And it's such a beautiful opportunity to at least have some for some of a framework to handle those situations where as opposed to like getting just just letting it ruin your day, right? Or at least, you know, having a, a backbone that you can turn to over and over again. So I, I hope you were listening. You can kind of hit that back skip a few times if you want to just leverage that as an opportunity. I think this is related to this or like a similar framework. But another thing you talked about in the book is CIA, um, uh, of like control, influence, and accept and like leveraging that as another framework. I think that might be another tool that people could use in these kinds of situations. Would you mind sharing that as well? Yeah, it's it's quite simple and and powerful in its simplicity, and an easy acronym to remember CIA because it's a famous acronym, and obviously not the American spy organization. So C control <laughs> some things we can control. If you can control something, um, and I, there's not much that we can actually completely control, but right. if you can control something, um, and you think it should be amended or adjusted or improved or not there at all, 
um, rock on, give it a hundred percent of everything you've got. Give it your blood, sweat and tears, give it your, your, your anxiety or your, your worry or your concern or your problem solving ability, you know, give it everything. Most things we can't control, but some things we have some influence over and give it the appropriate amount of your worry. You know, this is about, this is about mental, mental, emotional energy conservation, right? This is about efficiency in terms of energy expenditure. It costs us energy to worry about something, right? And if you're worrying about something that's out of your control and you've got very little influence over, I think that's a waste of energy. So the influence part, I get quite specific on. If I think I've only got 1% influence over something, that's how much worry I, I give it. And then the things, yeah. And then the things that we can't control or can't influence go straight into the accept basket. And that, and anything in the accept basket gets zero of my mental, emotional energy. Now, easier said than done, I know. Um, we are complex creatures and we're, we're reasonably, all of us, reasonably neurotic to some degree. And we'll be worrying about something going, you know, and especially everything that's happened already happened. Everything in the past, straight into the accept basket. In fact, you can bring that right up until this moment. If we could freeze frame time right now, if we could take a snapshot in time right now, everything that is the way it is right now, accept basket. Hmm. Yeah. And accept doesn't mean approval. Doesn't mean I approve of the way things are right now. Accept doesn't mean apathy. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to try and do what I can to make the world a better place. No, I'm just talking about radical acceptance of that, which we can't control or influence. Right. And it's a practice. So, you find yourself going, yeah, but he shouldn't have spoken to me like that. Yeah, but he did. Yeah, but he shouldn't have. Um, yeah, but he did. It's happened. It's done, right? And you go, okay, okay, all right, I'll accept it. And then an hour later, you find yourself going, yeah, but he shouldn't have spoken to me like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. So then you just put it back in the accept basket again. So every time you find yourself wasting emotional, mental energy on something that is out of your control and influence, back in the accept basket and you know the amazing thing brandon like serving a tennis ball the more you serve a tennis ball the better you get at serving a tennis ball right the the wiring starts to form and and it's like gratitude the more i've been consciously practicing gratitude over the last especially over the last 10 years the wiring quote unquote because i know it's not that literal but the neurons that have fired together enough times now that are gratitude happen automatically. I'm tripping over gratitude all day, every day. Yes. I keep finding myself saying, oh my God, I'm so grateful for this, right? It's the same with acceptance. I've found over the last 10 years of using CIA as a model on a daily basis, when I put something in the accept basket now, very rarely do I find myself tripping over it again. Mm -hmm. It gets easier and easier to accept things with practice. So I think that's really cool. I think it's really awesome that um, you know, with these models and these tools and the daily practice of them, life gets easier. It's funny as you were talking, I had this visual pop up in my head and maybe, maybe I'll like say this out loud. So I'll actually commit to doing it as kind of a fun little exercise. The first thing that popped into my head is I was at the dollar store <laughs> a few days ago. Yeah. I don't remember why I was there, but I saw like, like, you know, they sell the, the, the pieces of crap there but one of them was like this teeny little waste basket and my, my first thought was like why what's the point of having like a waste basket that's like four inches big but i think I, as I, as you were talking for some reason i was thinking about that it might be like a fun little 
exercise to train yourself on something like this. If you got like one of those teeny little waste baskets and like anytime you found yourself thinking about something that you couldn't control or couldn't influence, you literally just wrote it out on like a piece of paper and stuck it yeah. in the accept bucket <laughs> and just like Dude. train yourself to do something like that. Because that is I think so it, good. Yeah. The, the more that we can kind of like uh, turn it into a practice. I know, I know, I think I listened to another episode you were on, you're a huge fan of, um, Charles Duhigg's work or Atomic Habits, James Clear. It's like triggering, yeah. like ha having like an action that you take. It's like this, I've been training for uh, a big race and later on in this year. And so I, I have to do 30 burpees before I get my coffee in the morning. So uh, like having having those things like, like oh, I have to move this to the accept bucket. If I'm at least near my office, I could like write it out. And <laughs> it might be like yeah. a good way to get myself to train to do that. So um, that yeah, is there you such go. <laughs> a good idea, man. I'm going to use that idea if that's okay with you, Brandon. And I'll, oh, for sure. I'll be, but no, that that is, such a great idea and it's interesting because humans we we use ritual you know mm -hmm. we, we use ritual we get married and we have birth rituals and we have death rituals and we have celebration rituals and we have reverence rituals and we have we ritualize things you know we sit around fires and tell, share stories or we have you know rites of passage and coming of age and it's just part of us um, and so just to have a little fun ritual like that, write out the thing that you're tripping over and screw it up and chuck it in the accept basket <laughs> and move on. I think it's really powerful. I love that. So I, you've said a few things that have been maybe really curious to ask about this. So I've been, I've one of the people that I've started studying a lot recently that this, his episode should have come out before this, but Gay Hendricks, he wrote the book, The Big Leap. Um, and, and he's got a, podcast with Mike Canings, who's also been on this show called The Big Leap. But one of the things that Gay seems to be really good at from me listening and consuming his content is identifying where emotions and feelings are in the body and then mm. leveraging that as like a, a tool to move forward. And the reason why I'm thinking about this under this context is because my wife will tell you sometimes she might say it happens more frequently than, than I might admit, but like we'll say once every week or once every two weeks, I'll just get like, I don't know how to put a feeling on it. Like I might feel it in my body, but I'm just feeling down. I'm feeling weird. And like, I, I, I'm wondering if you have any, like for those kind of more amorphous feelings or like energy that you can't, you can't really something, you can't really say, oh, I'm going to put this in the accept bucket because I don't know what it is. Do you have yeah. any way that you can then you can take that and kind of like translate it or leverage your body to use it? I know it's kind of a messy question, but it's a it's a messy feeling that I have. So I'm curious if you I have any it. thoughts on that. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. No, it doesn't seem unnecessarily messy at all. I, okay. I love the question. <laughs> this is where I really enjoy the practice of mindfulness. And so in its simplest form, mindfulness is simply an awareness of the present moment, just noticing the present moment, not trying to change it, not trying to do anything with it, just a real curiosity to what you can notice, what you can, what, what shows up in consciousness in any given moment. Now, the idea is that we're, we're doing it with as little judgment as possible. So mm -hmm. dropping the story, I know that's easier said than done, but dropping any story associated with it, um, trying to drop any attachment to it just simply observing what you can notice and so when it's a messy emotion or feeling and you're not sure how to locate it or whatever to sit in silence and simply be curious about how are you consciously aware of it is it a sensation in the body or in your energetic field is it a mood or a tone to consciousness 
are there are there any visuals associated with it are there any sounds you know just noticing what you can notice in conscious awareness and since having a dedicated practice of mindfulness meditation um i'm really enjoying the expanding ability to notice anything without being so identified with it you know we identify with our emotions i am angry like that's who i am right now mm. rather than I am a being who in this moment is experiencing uh, a moving, the moving sensations of an emotion that we call anger, right? And when we go in, when we are not so identified with the experience, we kind of elevate, not up, but somehow we elevate beyond it and we can notice it. It tends to pass more easily, hmm. whatever it is that we're experiencing, Um which is also, by the way, a superpower to develop because <laughs> if you find yourself looping in, in any sort of physiological state, emotional, mental state that, that is not serving you anymore and you're like, oh, geez, I wish I could stop feeling so angry right now, the ability to go into a mindfulness meditation and notice the anger allows it to dissipate much more quickly. So you can return back to a place of equanimity, your calm center much more easily. So I, I mean, it's a superpower, but the, I would recommend that when you're experiencing that, which you just described for us before, um, that you sit quietly somewhere and just notice, just notice it. Don't try and explain it. Don't try and get a story around it. Don't try and understand it. Don't try and do anything with it. Just simply notice it. And then if somebody's listening to this and like, okay, I've had this happen to me last week, or like, I I've noticed this in myself too, where it's like, I had this conversation and I left it feeling weird or something happened and I was triggered and I, I can't quite put a finger on it. If they, if they did exactly what you just said and you just sat it, sat with it and you breathed a little bit and you felt with it and you notice it, and you shine a light on it. Is that where you would, we would kind of mix these two topics together. And I'm getting very heady about this. I really, I understand that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm mm. intellectualizing a, a concept that may not <laughs> belong in this bucket, but like, is that where you would just put it in the acceptance bucket that like, whatever it is that you're feeling, you would yeah. just let it come to pass. And then you would just yeah. move from there. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. So it's, I'm accepting that in this moment, this is what I can notice. This is what's going on in this moment. hundred percent accepting it. Because it's uh, here I am, <laughs> right? You know, it's it's when we argue with reality. So what we expect or hope for in a moment, in a given moment, but then there's reality. The suffering is in that gap. Mm. The suffering is in what we we thought it should be right now, and what's actually going on. So if you um, went into a conversation and you were expecting that you would be able to stay calm in that conversation, and you end up not being calm. So in reality, you are experiencing a physiological state of being that's not calm, but you don't even know what it is. But you were like, oh, no, shit. I wanted to keep my shit together in this conversation, right? So mm -hmm. I'm at, this is what I was expecting, but this is reality. Now I'm, now I'm not in a pleasant state. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now I'm doing a bit of suffering right now. Mm -hmm. the, the quicker you can come back to, oh, wow, I should be experiencing this physiological state of being right now. Why? Well, because I am. Hmm. here I am I'm feeling out of sorts so apparently this is what I'm supposed to be feeling right now because I am feeling it <laughs> you know you can fight with reality as much as you want um, another author Byron Katie she says you can fight with reality reality will always win only 100% <laughs> of the time she says right. only 100% of the time 
And and I love that. And it's true. So yes, a hundred percent, you can bring the two together. You can say, okay, well, I'm going to fully accept that right now, this is the state that I'm in. And now I'm going to sit quietly, close my eyes and simply notice it. When I, when I practice coming into this place of observation with, with no judgment and no desire to do anything with it, just simply observing it, I'm actually, like I said before, I'm removing myself from being identified and immersed in that experience where I can't do anything with it. I can only suffer in the unpleasantness of it. But when I remove myself to a place of observation, it's not pleasant or unpleasant. It's just literally sensations showing up in conscious awareness. Yeah. I love that. I, I think I'm I'm noticing a pattern that I'm just gonna pull. And it this this comes from something I've shared on the show a bunch, but I forget whose model it is, but there's like four stages of learning. Um, but the first stage yeah. of learning is unconscious incompetence. I won't go through the other four stages, but it's like you can't learn about something until you take it from not even knowing what there is to know about something to like being able to work with it. And like that just seems yeah. like so much of what you have become a Jedi master at, or at least are continuing to master, because I don't think we're ever done, is like mm. just that first step of bringing something to your conscious awareness. Uh, and then once it's at a conscious level, understanding that you're you're much more empowered to do something with it, <laughs> whereas if yeah. it were unconscious before. So I, 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 I maybe we can go here just a little bit more, because I think another thing you talk about in the book is essentially the difference between um, like... I forget the exact language that you use, but it's like using a, a, a dedicated mindfulness practice where you're sitting down for five minutes every single day versus like, I'm just going to be brushing my teeth and be mindful in that moment. I think that those, this concept will kind of bridge the gap between everything else that we've been talking about it because it'll give people, if you're trained to notice things in a daily basis, it'll, it'll transition over into these moments where you really need it. So I would love for you to share how you can uh, have an integrative med uh, meditation practice. Yeah, well, you just used the word that I use. Okay, right, there we right go. There. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I like to um, put mindful the practice of mindfulness into two camps: dedicated mindfulness, which is obviously where you dedicate time and you sit down um, and and meditate, quote unquote, and then integrated mindfulness, and that is where you integrate the practice of awareness into anything that you are ordinarily doing already anyway. And I love that when when people say to me. Oh, Jem, I don't have time to meditate. You know, I've got too much going on. Okay, great. Well, let's let's talk about integrated mindfulness. You brush your teeth twice a day, I'm presuming, and they, everyone says, yeah. yeah. Okay, great. So the five minutes of brushing your teeth is the perfect opportunity to practice mindfulness. And what that looks like is quite simply, as you're brushing your teeth, keep bringing your attention back to the present moment. And what can you notice? The taste of the toothpaste the feeling of the bristles on your, on your teeth and your gums, the movement of your hand, the sounds you can hear, anything you can notice in the present moment. Because usually we're brushing our teeth, thinking about what happened earlier in the day and planning the next day or worrying about getting the kids into bed or doing the dishes or we're somewhere else, you know. And what I love about um, integrated mindfulness is that we can set up, and James Clear in, in Atomic Habits calls it habit stacking, for years before reading his book, I always just thought of it as habit association, mm -hmm. where you link the new habit that you want to create with an existing habit. So there was a period there where I had sticky notes all around my house, right, with the new habits that I wanted to create. And I and I used to have a sticky note next to my toothbrush on the bedroom mirror, uh, the bathroom mirror that said, mindfully. So every time I'd reach for my toothbrush, I'd see the thing mindfully. Oh, that's right. 
do it mindfully. And I'd brush my teeth mindfully. That was years ago. Now I don't have the sticky note, but every time I reach for the toothbrush, there's a neural association. So I do a mindfulness practice. You can practice integrative mindfulness doing, I'm going to say everything, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's not that we should always be mindful. That's not possible. We are distracted in thought most of our lives, um, but you can mindfully listen. What a gift. Talk about communication. You know, communication, a massive part of communication is is the art of really listening and being present for someone. And so when you can train yourself to be completely in that moment, not queuing up to say your thing, not queuing up to defend your point of view, not thinking about how you're going to rebut or agree with what they're saying, just simply being in that moment, listening with all of you, that's mindfully listening. You can mindfully drive your car. You can mindfully make love. You know, that's tantra that goes to a whole other level even even and i'm going to throw this out to to anyone listening to this if you like chocolate or pick something that's a treat that you like right the next time you go to eat chocolate when you open the wrapper slow just pause come into the moment bring all of your attention to that moment the feeling of opening the wrapper the sound the smell that you can, when you first smell that chocolate, the feeling of the chocolate as it starts to melt in between your fingers. Then as it comes into like every single moment become present. Oh my God, Brandon, eating chocolate becomes orgasmic. It's crazy. (laughs) But it's the same with, it's the same with sipping on a glass of water. When you bring all of your attention to sipping on a glass of water. Wow. What an experience. So this is integrated mindfulness and it really makes every moment better. I mean, it's what sports people are attempting to do when a, when a, a golfer is about to tee off, you know, and hit a golf ball, what they're trying to do is be completely mindful and in the moment. Right. Um, so yeah, that's, that's integrated mindfulness. And I, and I think it's really helpful. And then in communication, when, when, when you're in communication and you notice your emotions are rising and, and you know, you're getting the physiological affect of that. So your mouth might be going a bit dry and your thoughts are racing and you're not, you're starting to lose your ability to be calm and communicate clearly to be able to be aware of that and just breathe, notice it come back into the present moment. And I think this is really a key here because what happens when we get defensive in communication, which happens a lot, we are defending our ideas and we are so defensive because we've identified with our ideas. So our ego, our sense of identity is enmeshed in our ideas, right? And to our ego, if our our ideas are challenged or if we get triggered, that's akin to potential real death. So the ego gets defensive as if it's defending itself for life and death, you know, when in actual fact, 99.9% of the time, you can look around the room, there's no lion coming to eat you. (laughs) You're not actually, your life is not actually in threat. So you can breathe and remind yourself, hey, we're safe right now right? Your life is not actually in danger. Listen to this person, you know, see if you can see if you can understand more deeply where they're coming from, you know? So I think this integrated mindfulness comes into communication and and can be a really helpful ability to develop. So beautiful. Well, there's, there's easy homework for anyone. Like next time you grab your toothbrush, go ahead and Mm. do that. Or, or I think it's easy to just maybe just start with one just what's that what's that like one thing you could do maybe it's a toothbrush maybe it's a traffic light the next time you're sitting at a red light you just take the second to be aware of 
your surroundings or breathing or whatever that is. I think that's great because I think that once you start with that one habit and then you can start to integrate that into your communication and being more present, it just creates a domino effect in everything. So definitely going mm. to work to brush my teeth much more mindfully tonight. And I got the, these freaking Trader Joe's has these delicious espresso dark chocolate covered coffee beans and they're they're fire so i i've been my mistake is i open up the box and i just munch on them <laughs> so <laughs> that is what i will be do- as, as you were talking about that piece of chocolate the next time i eat one of those espresso dark chocolate coffee beans that's what i'll be doing is i'll be thinking about that which is amazing so this yeah. this may this may seem like a, a a rough transition but i had this highlighted as like one of the things that i wanted to make sure we talked about today um in terms of communication with someone you talk about this concept of getting the green light um <laughs> i think that if so many people had this understanding um or or set up relationships this way it would solve so many problems so please share with us what it means to get the green light <laughs> yeah um Having permission to communicate what you're about to try and communicate, having permission, having consent, you know, and I talk about consent in the book. And normally when we talk about consent, it's in a, a sexual context. Uh, and that should be a no-brainer. Unfortunately, for some people, they missed the memo on that, which still befuddles me. But anyway, that that really should be a no-brainer. And I and I also think that your you, the chances of the communication being successful are greatly increased when you have consent. So that just means having permission. So, for example, um, just say I'm feeling um, an emotion about uh, an interaction in my relationship with my partner, and I want her to understand how that made me feel because I want us to come back to a place of harmony because we love each other and it's nice when we're. Um, you know, in that place of harmony together. So then I'm wanting to go and um, communicate that with her. If I have permission, so if I was to say, um, hey, baby, I'm I'm feeling some emotions right now that I'd love to communicate with you so that hopefully you can understand where I'm at and we can come back to our place of harmony. Would it be okay if I sat down with you now and tried to communicate that with you? If she says, um, yeah, baby, of course wow, the chances are already through the roof. If she says now's not a good time and I'm not actually feeling like communicating right now and I'm in a hurry, can you save it? I'll go, yeah, I'll save it. Because why am I going to try and, why am I going to try and start, you know, communicating with you now when you've just said it's not going to work right now? <laughs> you know, unless unless your intention is just for them to see that you're, you're upset. If, if you just want them to visibly see that you're upset, go ahead and don't worry about the timing. But if your intention is that you come back to a place of understanding and harmony, then get permission. It's, and, you know, even I think about this as a father, I've got um, two boys who are just about to turn 19 and 17. And it's not always possible to get permission. It's a tricky relationship, this parenting one, because you need to create boundaries for them and there need to be consequences, obviously, for actions. And you want them, hopefully, to grow up to be responsible kind people you know to the best of your ability we're trying to help these kids you know um and so there are times when it's tricky to get consent but when my boys have done something and i need to go and talk with them about it and talk about the consequences of their actions when i knock on their bedroom door i always knock on their door i never barge in when i knock on their door and they go yeah what dad <laughs> and i go hey mate, that, that choice that you made, 
Um, there's going to be some some things that come from that. And I'd really love to sit down and have a chat with you about that. Can we do that now? Is that okay? If I can get them to say, yes, all right, way better chance of the communication going where I need it to go. It doesn't mean they're going to be happy and blah, 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 but way better chance. However, there have obviously been times as a parent where they've gone, no, I don't want to talk about it. I'm like, well, we are going to talk about it and we're going to talk about it now, <laughs> right? So that's probably you know, the, that's probably the most common time when I've had to go ahead with communication without consent because your kid's saying no. But apart from that, in every other context, I will try and get permission to communicate or at least some consent, you know? Yeah, I love that. I love the idea too of like for your really foundational relationships like having a conversation where it's like hey i would prefer that or or how do you feel about it if we agreed to just automatically communicate what it is that we're feeling as soon as we come up with it you know or so it's like basically just like giving people the green light to give you the communication in the way that you would prefer to get communication because in in my relationships i would significantly prefer if something's if somebody's got beef with me or somebody's got a problem yeah. like you tell it to me right away and you, you you say it and like i'm gonna work that way and i think that having those conversations ahead of time where people know that that's the best way to interact with you and giving them the green light almost ahead of time or establishing yeah. how the green light should be given. That also yeah. saves a lot of mental anguish. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Um, Talia and I, when we first came together seven years ago, we set up some of these foundational pillars in our relationship based off our, we both came out of 20 year marriages with a couple of kids each. So we had a lot of experience of what works and what doesn't work for us. And we came together and created some of these permissions right at the start and agreements, tenements, if you will. And one of them we call IT, which is immediate truth. We said, how about we always share with each other our immediate truth? Is that cool with you? And we both agreed that's a good way to go. That's super, super powerful. I love that IT. There's an acronym for it and you can kind of create like a culture around that. That's, that's beautiful. Oh man, this has been so, so good, Jem. And we, there's, there's so much more that anybody like we've like, as, as always, it works on the show that we just are scratching the surface. So if you've enjoyed some of these communication strategies, the art of conscious communication for thoughtful men, a way to fulfilling your potential, all of the Thing, lots of the things that we've talked about today, if you want to go deeper into these and figure out the ways that you can apply it and uh, really bring this into action in your life, I would highly recommend that we all check that out or that you all check that out. Um, Jem, I would love to maybe start, let's, let's end with like something fun. Cause I think we've been talking uh -huh. about some really cool and, and you're a guy that has just traveled the world and experienced some crazy stuff. So I'm going to give you a, a, a blue sky, but I'll set it up this way. You have to have some favorite crazy travel story. <laughs> um, and so I'll, I'll, I'll buy you, I'll buy you some time for thinking about this really obnoxious travel story. I'll just share one of mine while you're thinking. Um, one yeah. of my favorite was when I was in uh, Thailand with my wife, Leah, we happened to be there during Songkran, which is a citywide squirt gun fight <laughs> and uh, they, yeah. they they don't hold back you know if you're in the back of a song tao which is like those open back trucks that you can hop in like kids will come in with a pitcher of ice water and fling it in the back of those things and yeah yeah if no matter where you're going during Songkran, um, that was just one of the coolest experiences of just experiencing that culturally. So I would love for you to maybe share if you have one of those favorite memories or something ridiculously crazy that happened, or maybe you feared for your life. What's <laughs> what's one of your favorite <laughs> travel stories of all your years? 
of traveling. Oh, wow. I, you know, the first one that came is it's just a short story, but it, sure. it, it, out of the context of being in the moment, it seems really weird. And so when you're traveling, I don't know about you, but when you're traveling in some foreign, foreign, culturally different land, for me, India and Southeast Asia, where I've spent a lot of time and Central Asia, but in India, you see things that are so weird, but in the moment, they just seem like normal. It's just like, yeah, of course, you know? So a lot of weird stuff, go, when I say weird, it's only weird for me because I grew up in Melbourne, right. Australia, right? It's not weird. It's only weird for, for me because it's different to where I grew up, right? So I'm walking along and you see things and you just go, oh yeah, that's just normal. But this one time I saw this thing and I did a double take. I stopped and I'm like, what the <laughs> hell? <laughs> so I'm walking down the back streets of um, one of my favorite cities in the world, which is Varanasi, um, Benares. And this city is stunning, amazing. This, you know, these, these tiny little laneways spill down on top of each other, right up onto the, the gats of the river, which is the Ganges, the Ganga. And it's the Holy River and the gats are these steps that go down into the river and people bathe in there and wash their clothes in there. And they burn the dead on the funeral pyres, on open fires and the remains go into the river. Everything goes into the river. And it's just, it's actually really quite a ridiculously special city. And I've been there a lot. Anyway, these little laneways are so narrow, you can't drive cars down them, but there's scooters and bicycles and cows and animals and people and living in these laneways. And I was walking back from um, one of my favorite restaurants down towards my hotel, and I was probably high on charis, which is weed. I would have been... I would have been high back in my 20s for sure. And I was walking along this laneway and there's some kids playing in the laneway and they're just, you know, how they have the the empty bicycle tire and they a stick and they push it along with a stick. And I'm walking past these and there's all buildings on each side and steps going up into these old, beautiful colored archway do wooden doors. And I walk past and there's a goat sitting on its rear on its haunches with its two bottom legs out crossed over like an old man with its legs crossed sitting back leaning up against the door and its front ones crossed over like this right if you can't if you're listening to this try and imagine a goat sitting like an old man sitting on its <laughs> bum with its legs crossed and its arms wearing a knitted sweater no right? no 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 yeah. you're making wearing a knitted vest <laughs> and it was just sitting there looking up and down the laneway like just turning its head from side to side just watching just looking up and down the laneway and i walked past it without kind of nothing to do and then i went hang on a second <laughs> and i turned around <laughs> and i did the double take and i looked back sure enough there was this guard goat like guarding this house, just sitting on the front doorstep, like an old man looking up and down. And you know how goats make the most interesting vocal sounds. Yeah, yeah. They almost sound human. And this goat just, and as I looked at it, this goat just went, <laughs> like this, right? It's a weird sound. And I'm like, what is going on? And where am I? Anyway, that's the story. You're sure, you're sure it was a goat. You weren't so high that it was actually a grandpa dressing. It, it was a goat, dude. It was a goat, 100%. I turned to my mate who I'd been to dinner with and I'm like, are you getting this? He goes, uh, yeah, I'm getting it. I'm getting the goat, dude. Oh, uh, man, that's so funny. I knew you had to have one of those. That's great. I don't want to add anything on top of that besides one, 
uh, let me ask them in two parts. First of all, where can people find out more about all the incredible stuff you're up to? Obviously, like I said, multiple times, anybody can go check out a copy and get a copy of The Art of Conscious Communication for Thoughtful Men, also super powerful for women if you've enjoyed these these conversation, this conversation. But where else can people go to find out the stuff that you're up to, Jem? Jemfuller.com. Everything's all through there if you want it. If you want to follow me, I post every day on Insta. I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook. Um, go watch the TEDx talk. Just type Jem Fuller into YouTube. Love that. Awesome. So go check that out. And then I'll ask you the question that I love asking guests at the end um, of the show when I get the chance is what does happiness mean to you today, Jem? What is your definition of what happiness means for you? Ah, when you ask me that question, my mind goes to the deeper level of happiness, not the the fleeting Mm. emotion, Mm. not the happiness that is the opposite of sadness, which can come with a good or bad phone call. My mind goes to that deeper level of contentment, satisfaction, self-okayness, gratitude, love. That's happiness for me. And it's a practice. You know, it's a, it's a practice. It doesn't just accidentally come. Mm. That's beautiful. Don't want to add anything to that, except I just want to have a quick conversation with you listening. And I just want to say, you could be listening to any other podcast. You could be doing so many other things, but you chose to listen and click on this conversation with Jem and myself and man, you've been in for a ride. And I just know that if you've been fully present, which if you're listening to my voice right now, you've been hanging out with us this entire time, you've picked up on so many nuggets, so many different ways that you could approach communication more thoughtfully, um, whether that be like the green light example that we got towards the end of just having consent in conversations, or maybe it's the conversation that you've been having between your two ears. Maybe it's learning how to uh, have that more mindfully or CIA control influence and accept. And maybe you're going to be like me and go to the dollar store and find that stupid bucket that I had no idea that it had any function besides the fact that it came up in my mind during this interview. Maybe, maybe it was the story about the goat. There's something in here, all this rambling to say, there's something in here that can absolutely transform your life and it can absolutely transform somebody else's life if you choose to share it with them. So it would make my day, it would make Jem's day if you chose to do that. And I'm just so grateful that you are here hanging out with us. And uh, man, Jem, this has been so much fun. Any final things you want to say before we head off today? I want to say thank you, dude. I It's been a really lovely conversation and I feel very honored to be on your show. I appreciate you so much, brother. And we'll talk to you very soon.